Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Who are the Nephilim? And are the sons of God mentioned in Genesis chapter 6 merely the descendants of Seth? To discuss this very important topic is none other than the president and founder of Good Fight Ministries and pastor of Blessed Hope Chapel in Simi Valley, California, Pastor Joe Schimmel. Praise God, Chad. This is a fascinating subject. Uh, half hour, we can't do it justice in half hour. There's a lot of arguments we can make one way or another, but uh, we're going to dig in get right to it. Amen. And that's what we want to do. We want to dig into this. But before we do, I do want to invite you guys who are listening to this, and I hope, hopefully you're liking our new format on the podcast shows, switching it back down to a half hour, and we'll be doing one live hour-long show with you guys one time a month, so we don't lose that continuity. But if you do like this format, we'd love for you guys to let us know, and also please give us a like, a comment, subscribe to the channel, as well as leaving a review on whatever podcast format you're on, because that does help us to get up there. If you think this is beneficial for the body of Christ, it'd be awesome to leave a five-star review. And Joe, this is a topic that, like I said, we've been getting a lot of questions concerning this. Now, we've we've covered the topic a few times, so we have gone in more depth on this subject. But recently, Dr. Michael Heiser has put out uh, a, a couple of videos, but one specifically was The Unseen Realm, and that's based off of his book, and he's got Dr. Eric Mason and others uh, on the project as well, and it discusses a lot of the Nephilim really in depth. Now, we have a lot of things that we do disagree with Heiser on, you know, concerning specifically who wrote the book of Daniel, for example, and I know also, Joe, we've talked about on the show when we when we talked about the devil uh, who the devil is or Satan is in the book of Job. Yeah. Uh, specifically. Or whether the fallen angels in Revelation 12 are the demons or not, or something totally different. He has some weird takes, but he has some good insights into the Nephilim and so forth. Yeah, and and so the Unseen Realm is a, a pretty solid video altogether of what I watched, and we've discussed that at length before in other shows, Joe. And so I thought it'd be good, and, and especially because we got a question that came in, and when we were discussing it, hey, this would be a good thing to answer uh, this was from one of our Patreon subscribers. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash goodfight and become a Patreon if you would like. But this one is from Mercedes Sanchez. And she asked, in Genesis 6, who are the sons of God? Are they the fallen angels that the book of Jude speaks of? Did they mate with the women and had the giants that spoken of in the chapter in Genesis? Now, for those who do take a, I guess it would probably be a more literal view, especially if you're looking at, the scriptures in terms of where we see the sons of God in the Old Testament and so forth. And then she mentions Jude. We'll also mention Second Peter at some point in mm-hmm. this as well. But there are some people that would say, no, those are not. These are simply descendants of, of Seth and so forth. But one of the first things that's brought up, because I guess we have to read from Genesis chapter 6, or I can't get to some of the arguments. Probably 6, 1 through 4 would be great. Uh, so I'll read from Genesis chapter 6, 1 through 4, so we can all... Be on a level playing field so we know what we're talking about here. But it says, Now it came about when mankind began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of mankind were beautiful. 
and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not remain with man forever, because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of mankind, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. So, Joe, the question is, who are these men of renown? Who are these Nephilim? And who are the sons of God? I guess there's a lot of, who are these people that we're trying to talk about here? Yeah. And so, one of the arguments that would go forth to say, well, the sons of God could not be angels, comes from when Jesus was answering the Sadducees and Pharisees, but specifically the Sadducees when it comes to their argumentations against the afterlife, because they did not believe in a resurrection. And one of the things they try to do is what's called a reductio ad absurdum, where they bring forth an argumentation that, hey, because obviously they weren't polygamous. Sorry to those who teach that. And uh, that's still today, um, there's uh, black Hebrew Israelites, which they teach polygyny, not polygamy. But nonetheless, it ends up in the same format here. And one of the things they say is this woman, she is married. Then her husband dies. She marries his brother, her husband dies and so forth. So who is she married to in the afterlife? which that would reduce your answer to absurdity unless you're Jesus and actually know the truth of the afterlife. And he says this in Matthew twenty-two thirty: For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. So, Joe, the argument would go forth as, since Jesus says the angels in heaven are not given to marriage, and we look at Genesis chapter 6, we see they're given to these women in marriage. We see the sons of God sleeping with the daughters of men. Obviously, if Jesus says this about angels, then these couldn't have been angels who did not keep their proper abode. So therefore, these have to simply just be descendants of men. Yeah, so we want to say, okay, what what does the Scripture say about this? Is it clear enough to draw a conclusion, right? And then uh, the argument is that, hey, they're the sons of Seth and the sons of the daughters of Cain, and they started intermingling, or they're the sons of God or angels, fallen angels, and they had sexual relations with the daughters of men. Because we know that angels we see over and over again throughout the Old Testament are able to take human bodies, and they typically take male bodies. So some would argue that. So uh, that argument that, hey, Jesus basically said that, you know, Jesus wasn't, first of all, let's understand, Jesus was not addressing that issue. He's just addressing the resurrection and letting them know that marriage doesn't take place in heaven. Uh, There's not, as Mormons teach, this, you know, uh, marriage for time and eternity. That's a lie. That's contradicted by Jesus here. But this doesn't contradict the idea that the sons of God had relations with the daughters of men. In fact, it's interesting when you look at the arguments against uh, the, the, the interpretation or understanding that like some of the early church fathers had, believers in the uh, intertestinal period had, and so forth. Uh, when you look at their arguments, they're not very strong. This is like one of their strongest arguments. Hey, look, Jesus said, you know, uh, marriage will be, you know, people will be like they are, the angels are in heaven. Uh, well, it says the angels who are in heaven. <laughs> Let's say anything about the angels who left heaven, angels who are in heaven. Of course, they're not fornicating. Of course, they're not chasing women. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to be God's angels in heaven anymore. But we're talking about fallen angels who, as we'll see in a moment, aren't in heaven. They're actually in in a place called Tartarus, as we'll see in a, in a moment. Uh, so it's interesting. In fact, it's interesting. Why didn't Jesus just say, I think it's kind of interesting, Jesus could have just said, they're like the angels. Why didn't you say that? It's almost as though he may have even qualified it to make sure he, we understood he's talking about the angels who are in good standing with God, who are in heaven uh, as residents and citizens of heaven, uh, not uh, fallen angels. 
So that argument, I don't think, holds a lot of water, especially when you look at clear texts that actually deal with that situation there in Genesis chapter 6. And we do word studies on Benai Elohim, the term sons of God, and we'll get into all that in a moment. But uh, when you look at direct passages that deal with what happened back there, and I, my mind's held captive to the Word of God. And when I go to the Scripture, there's no way I can overthrow, and I'm not looking for a loophole to overthrow anything God has said. I bow down to what He said. And I know a lot of people just haven't seen some of the Scriptures we're going to share. I know it's only a half-hour show now, uh, but the thing is, it was, oh, it used to be an hour. Well, now we're doing two shows a week. So you're still getting the same amount. We're just dealing with uh, a half-hour uh, subject matters for the most part. So uh, that argument doesn't hold water. Yeah, of course they're not like, uh, they, the, the fallen angels aren't like the angels in heaven who don't marry. But we're not even talking about marriage either here. We're talking about uh, uh, angels. It doesn't say an angel can't uh, rape a woman. In fact, I've studied the occult for a long time, and there's a lot of uh, occult activity called sex magic in among the top Satanists, and those are in the occult where they try to get in touch with demonic entities who masquerade as male and female called incubus and succubus demons. Uh, now, they're not male and female demons because they have no gender, but demonic entities can take on uh, with wicked dreams, perverse dreams they give people and so forth, all kinds of uh, different things. So the question is, uh, did fallen angels have the ability to take human bodies? They certainly did. Did human angels, did angels have the ability to rape women, fallen angels? Well, this is where I don't get real definitive because the scripture is not real clear. So I don't necessarily say they're even necessarily taking human physical bodies in the sense of generating a human body as they often did when they appeared before men and God allowed that. It could be even some some kind of form of demonic possession where uh, people that were given over to demonic entities and Jesus dealt with a lot of possession. He cast a lot of fallen angels or demons out of people. It could be even that kind of thing where uh, de demon-possessed people are raping women and would Satan have the ability to uh, uh, mess with their offspring, you know, because of uh, there's a lot of, you know, yes or no. Well, even if we don't look at the Nephilim, which many people look at the Nephilim as being offspring of the fallen angels with the daughters of men, uh, even if you don't even address the Nephilim, we're still dealing with the sons of God and the daughters of men. We're still dealing with some kind of relationship here, whether you want to uh, agree or not regarding where the Nephilim come from. Although I think it makes more sense. That's why we read the Nephilim uh, <laughs> seem to be an, uh, some kind of, uh, offspring, these giant mon mon monstrosities uh, as a result of this kind of relationship. Well, Joe, that seems to make sense, uh, as as you said, having the angels in heaven specifically. But obviously, it seems like something else has happened. And in fact, I'm sure we'll get into it, Joe. There are places where some angels don't keep their proper abode and aren't actually in yeah, heaven either. So absolutely. that's interesting. But one thing, and I've heard this, I've had people tell me this, you know, to my face even, and I've seen this a lot online. And Another argument. Another argument that they may see, that somebody may see over and over again or hear, is that these are simply, these sons of God are actually just descendants of Seth. So apparently these men of renown, the Nephilim, they're, are, they're merely just the sons of Seth. Now, what would you say to that sort of statement? Yeah, the argument would be the sons of God represent the sons of Seth, and the daughters of men represent the descendants of Cain. And there was an iron wrangle in between these two uh, different uh, groups of descendants. And therefore, if you have the Nephilim that are somehow a result, these men of renown as a result of that. Uh, you know, the problem with that is there's this huge, in Genesis chapter 6, first couple of verses, huge population explosion. And are we to believe that all the sons of Seth just happen to be God-fearing people? And then all of a sudden, they just intermingled and, you know, 
after so much time had passed and now they're all having sex with their descendants of Cain. Uh, it doesn't seem that, you know, we don't, we have many descendants of Christians, but many of our children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren are not believers. It just doesn't work out that way, <laughs> typically. Uh, and then, But I think we need to really hone in on that and understand what's taking place there is the term Banai Elohim, the, the, the term sons of God with the daughters of men. The daughters of men sound like the daughters of humanity. I mean, why are we trying to get some kind of weird interpretation of what it means to be a daughter of men, you know? Because we're not the sons of Cain. If they were the children of descendants of Cain, weren't they the sons of men? Of course they were. Uh, so it's interesting when you have sons of God versus, you know, with the daughters of men, that term sons of God is only used five times in the entire Old Testament. And you find it in the two earliest books that were ever written, the book of Job and the book of Genesis. So it's really hard to believe that the book of Job and the book of Genesis, which the Holy Spirit inspired, there's, there's two totally different meanings going on there. And the term is Benai Elohim, sons of God. And sons of God is used five times. It's used twice here, Chad, in, the, in Genesis, the first two times we see it. And there's a debate as to whether God had Job written first or Genesis. People, scholars disagree, but we know they're written around the same time. And we read, now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, the daughters were born to them. Okay, that sounds like it's talking about daughters were born to humanity, not just to Cain. So I'm saying even the narrative sets it up as though these daughters who are born to men are born to humanity in general, not just to, to uh, uh, I should say, to yeah, to Cain. And that the sons of God saw the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. And it goes on to use sons of God. And I'll read the whole thing, Chad, because you read it earlier. But two times we see the sons of God term, Benai Elohim. Now, it's interesting. We look at Benai Elohim. Uh, the other three times we see it is in the book of Job. And we'll just look at that briefly. I'll, I'll read the different, different accounts. Take just a minute. Job 1.6. And it's talking about when Satan, okay, who didn't was is not a citizen of heaven. He's been booted out of heaven. Okay, now he has access. He'll finally be not even allowed to go up there. And his fallen angels have been booted out of heaven too. They can go up there, but they're not, they're not the godly angels of heaven. Now it's interesting in verse six, it says, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. Okay, wow. And then you go to Job chapter two, verse one, it says a little bit later, again, there was a day when the sons of God, Benai Elohim, came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And I'll read one more. It's the fifth time, the only, the last time we see this in the Old Testament. And it's in chapter 38, verse 7. And I'll read a couple of verses before that. God's rebuking Job because Job is talking about, you know, basically he needs to be humbled by the Lord. And he didn't sin and blaspheme the Lord and curse him. But he's at the same time not understanding why he's going through this trial and what the Lord is doing. In verse 5, it says, Who set its measurements, speaking of the earth, since you know, who stretched the line on it? On what were its bases sunk and who laid its cornerstone? Then he says this, talking about when the creation took place, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So when the creation took place, the sons of God were, the, the Benai Elohim, the angels were shouting for joy. And the good angels that have not fallen, they're able to present themselves before the Lord. But also among them, the fallen angels uh, who seek to deceive us like Satan, who goes about as a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, also is the accuser of brethren who goes up to the heavenlies and accuses us. And what we see there is the Benai Elohim, the sons of God, and there are good sons of God. But among them, there, there, there were those that fell. And we'd no longer call Satan. He comes among the sons of God. So the sons of God, we'd, we'd probably call the, the angels in good standing. Uh, we don't see necessarily, we see Satan going among them, 
But the fallen angels that fell during this time, and by the way, the Septuagint was uh, the Old Testament in Greek form that Jesus quoted from most often. And there you have angelos at one point, and you typically have benai Elohim in Hebrew and angelos or sons of God transliterated into the Greek as well. But it's interesting, it shows you that even then, a lot of people understood the sons of God to be angelic beings, fallen angelic beings. So I think this is very important to understand how they would have understood it in those days uh, regarding benai Elohim. And as you said, Chad, we're going to get into other texts as well in the New Testament that I think confirm what we're talking about here. Yeah, and Joe, one of the things I found interesting when you're reading from that text in Job 38 is that you have the sons of God there at creation, which is seemingly before Adam. So you have these sons of God, obviously angelic beings, because Adam is not even created yet, and yet they're singing before the Lord. It, It is really interesting, and I think it really... It really puts a capstone on what is trying to be said here in terms of what the Old Testament, the five times mentioned uh, in regards to the the sons of God in in the Old Testament. But Joe here is actually from the New Testament, and uh, it's interesting because um, specifically when we look at First Peter, Second Peter, and Jude, a lot of people see specifically Second Peter and Jude, but also First Peter as sister epistles to one yeah, another amen. because of the things they mention. And when we read regarding these beings in the New Testament, or I don't know what else you could say they are in terms of when you're reading this, here's what it says, starting in 1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 18. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all time, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison who once were disobedience when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. I mentioned verse 20, Joe, because that ties it back into where we were, Genesis chapter 6. Amen. So let's also go. But before you go to 2 Peter, let's say a little comment on there. Notice he says he... He, uh, and preaches, since they preached the gospel to them, uh, they couldn't obviously be saved when people were disobedient. Mm, These yes. were disobedient in the days of Noah, specifically, as Chad just uh, mentioned here, as we're talking about the same time period. Now, if it just was kind of just came up randomly, but as Chad's going to get into Second Peter, then we're going to get Jude. We're going to see in all three cases, it's tied with uh, the, the time period of Noah's day and the antediluvian age. And, and, and what happened subsequent to that. But it says, uh, it means to announce. He announced to the, the, the spirits that were disobedient in the days of Noah. And by the way, Chad, usually when you see spirits, typically, and it mentions spirits, it doesn't, it, it, it qualifies it when it's men. Like in Hebrews chapter 12, it speaks of the spirit of just men made perfect, you know, talking about the heavenly Jerusalem, you know, and, and, and the mm-hmm. church of the firstborn God. But here it just says spirits. And in Hebrews chapter one, it says that God makes his angels ministering spirits. And here he deals with these just spirits and angels were, fallen angels were obviously known, angels were known as spirits and demonic spirits often would possess people and they were understood by many to be fallen angelic beings. So here I think it's very important that we understand he's not just talking about Jesus condemning certain spirits that were disobedient or angels that were disobedient, but he specifically he states they were disobedient in the days of Noah, which draws a line right back to Genesis chapter 6 and the Benai Elohim, which we've already seen the greatest grammatical argument, and now we're looking at contextual arguments, uh, the greatest grammatical argument, we're looking at divine inspired scripture by the Holy Spirit, but grammatical arguments from Job to Genesis 
already establishes that the most likely understanding would be that these are talking about fallen angelic beings. And again, we don't divide over this. This is not a salvation issue. Uh, people that would divide over this issue and disfellowship from people that believe this or that regarding whether they're fallen angels or not, uh, that would be incredibly immature. So we don't write people off. They have different understandings. We love them about preaching the gospel. But a lot of people aren't into spiritual warfare and actually seeing that there's a very demonic mm. spiritual world. Yeah. And they're more, you know, just into, I don't want to you know, categorize all of them that way, but I've noticed that some people that, you know, that it's just kind of too heavy of the issue. But biblically, this is a biblical issue that we need to address. And Good Fight Ministries, we are in a fight with the Lord Jesus Christ underneath of his authority against Satan and his fallen angelic realm. So we expose what he does. Yeah, and here's the thing. We're making references, Joe, from the Word of God, and now Amen. we're making references from the New Testament Yeah, that's also making references, when we get into this one, about false teachers and yeah. reminding about those false teachers just what's coming to them. And, and Joe, I believe, is it the prison word there that's actually Tartarus? Yeah, Tartarus, uh, yeah. Uh, Tartarus there is used in 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to see it used again, interestingly enough. But 2 Peter chapter 2. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness, held for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but protected, who's that again, Joe? Noah. (laughs) Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. And he also goes into Sodom and Gomorrah, which the next text we'll talk about, also goes into But nonetheless, Joe, there you go again. Now, they're cast into hell there, Joe. Is this Gehenna, or what's going on here? Yeah, you're talking about a a realm uh, that is a holding tank, uh, specifically whereby these fallen angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode has kept eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Uh, It says in Jude, verse 6, so you have these fallen angels who are kept in this abode awaiting the great judgment. And then in Isaiah chapter 24 and 25, it says that God will judge the host of heaven, the angelic beings, and that's when that will take place. Uh, Satan himself will be cast in the lake of fire as well. Interesting, Joe, because once again, these sister letters seem to continue to push the same thing. Because as you mentioned, and I know you quoted from it, but I'll read from it as well, because Jude, it's so interesting because Jude wanted to write something else. Jude makes it clear. By the way, Jude, Jude is the divine commentary that makes it so clear that this is Elohim, Benai Elohim, our fallen angels. You're going to see that in a moment. No, without a doubt. And what I love is, and this is where the application also comes in handy, I believe. The half-brother of Jesus, this, by the way, as well. The half-brother of Jesus, that's right. And what brings this so clear is you have Jude saying, I wanted to write about our common salvation. I want to just write this joyful letter. But guess what? No, he had to write to earnestly contend for the faith, which was once and for all delivered unto the saints. And then he talks about these ungodly persons who trade the grace of God for a lies of immorality. And just like 2 Peter chapter 2, warning against the false prophets who also give a license to sin, but they themselves are slaves to corruption, and the blackness of darkness is reserved for them. And here we go again. Another example. Here's Jude. Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once and for all, that the Lord, after saving people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed all those who did not believe and angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode. He has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Right. So, Chad, I... 
Now, when you look at that, let's just, Chad just read it. And again, we're talking about, notice the association again with the days of Noah, Sodom and Gomorrah, as we saw in 1 Peter, then in 2 Peter. Now we have another line that's drawn as well. But notice what he says here. And we've only got a couple minutes left, folks. But listen clearly to what he says. He says, and the angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, right? They left. They are no longer the angels in heaven, are exhibited as an example, right? Or he says they were they were abandoned their proper abode and they're put in chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So they're there, these fallen angels, right? But what do they do? Well, in the next verse, he tells us, he says, and that's the commentary, which is heavy. Then he says, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, who in the same way as these, catch that, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, who in the same way as these, that is these angels, who didn't keep their proper abode, but abandoned their, their, their domain, right? Who in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh. Catch that? Just as Sodom and Gomorrah sees around them who in the same way as these, these angels he just referenced who abandoned their abode, they indulged in gross immorality, it says, and went after strange flesh and are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So, Chad, it's not that these passages just link what happened in the days of Noah with these fallen angels, but Jude specifically states that Sodom and Gomorrah, by going after strange flesh and the seas around them, they did the same thing that these angels did. And that's why, that's why I have this view. It's because this is the biblical view. This is what's taught in the New Testament. That's the divine commentary. And I would not believe an interpretation of man over what the scriptures clearly state. And that's why I have to believe what the scriptures state in this. And I do believe, I have no doubt that this happened because I believe this is what the scriptures are teaching did happen. No, and it is really interesting, Joe, because you're talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. It's specifically talking, I mean, it goes even further into sexual immorality as well, uh, yeah. reviling angelic majesties and so forth later uh, in this very text, uh, even men's while dreaming. And I I love Jude. My, Powerful book. My wife and I, when we first got married, memorized Jude together, and this one is one of my favorite books. So sometimes when I'm reading it— Great book to memorize if you haven't. Yeah, because it's nice and short. And it also, keep yourselves in the love of God, you know, rescuing those— from the fire, you yeah, know, those who, those who are doubting and so forth. Have mercy on those who are doubting. These are such great texts, and we want you guys to grab to them. And by the way, just real quick, I wanted to invite you guys as well. We are heading out there, Pastor Joe, myself, and also Pastor Jonathan down from Mexico. We are heading to Massachusetts February 2nd through the 5th for a men's conference, for a men's uh, retreat, actually, uh, where we're going to be talking about biblical manhood and we're excited about it we hope you guys can come we'll put a link in the description god bless you guys love you guys god bless you've been listening to the good fight radio show brought to you by good fight ministries if you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us please consider visiting our patreon page at patreon.com goodfight or you can write to us at p.o box 2202 simi valley california 93062 or call us toll free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.